Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Sell order assessment fee not included. A limited number of ETFs are subject to a transaction-based service fee of $100. See full list at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Here on The Exchange, rally on, Garth. Stock surging out of the October gate. And is there more ahead now that September is mercifully behind us? We're going to hear from someone who sees another 15% gain on the S&P by the end of the year. It is OPEC versus the White House. Crude surging as the group may make a big production cut. They are meeting in Austria Wednesday. Aliba Croft and Bob Mandali are here to dissect what may happen. Plus, a look at the American economy from one of its most popular restaurants. The CEO, P.F. Chang, is here to talk food costs, supply chain, consumer demand, and of course, the big time labor shortages. All that is ahead, but we have got to begin where else with this rally. Scott and Halftime just talked about it. It really is a broad-based rally as well. We have got gains in pretty much every single sector. There's some stocks that are down, but all the sectors are higher. Dow up 628, 2% gain. The Nasdaq's up a little bit less, so nice pop there for the blue chips. Now, as stocks move higher, rates are moving lower, in some cases by a lot. The 10-year and the two-year seeing a significant drop in yields. Now, energy is the big sector winner as crude oil jumps on those OPEC rumors. Every stock within the S&P 500 energy sector is higher right now, led by these names. you got Halliburton, Devon Energy, the Williams Companies. Halliburton and Devon up 6 and 7%. Semiconductors also making a nice comeback after what was just a brutal week last week. LAM Research, Applied Materials, Western Digital, they're all in the move. Even Intel, even Intel is higher as it announces it will spin off its mobile eye unit. Intel's up 4%. And take a look at Peloton. Peloton, we don't say this much, is getting a nice lift. It has announced that it's got a partnership with Hilton to provide Peloton machines at all of its hotels. Peloton I mean, listen, we don't want to make too much of it. The stock's up six bucks, maybe, or six percent, but I mean, it's come down massively from its high. So, a tiny, tiny green shoot uh, for one of the most beaten up stocks over the past year. All right, more on equities going forward, but right now to your lead story, and that is oil. And something big may be about to happen with OPEC. The group is set to meet on Wednesday, and this weekend they called a big time audible. They announced the meeting will not be virtual, it will be in person. It is the first in-person meeting since COVID hit. And that is leading to a lot of reports that OPEC may be ready to cut production by maybe a million or a million plus barrels a day. If they do it, it would be the largest cut since the pandemic. And with the meeting in person in Austria, it also raises the very sticky question of Russia and whether the Russian delegation will show up or if they're even allowed to. Let's talk more about it and bring in Bob McDally and Hilly McCroft. Bob is the founder and president of Rapidan Energy Group. Alima, of course, the head of global commodity strategy at RBC Capital Markets and a CNBC contributor. All right, Halima, they threw us an audible Saturday morning. Uh, I, you, you texted me. I mean, this is this. Is a, what do you think this in-person meeting means? What exactly do you think is going to happen on Wednesday? I mean, I don't think they're bringing us all to Vienna for a minor production move. This is not going to be a paper cut. We are looking at likely a substantial cut. You know, million barrel plus 
range. But I think the interesting, you know, subtext story is going to be the fact that you're going to have the deputy prime minister of the Russian Federation, Alexander Novak, who is under U.S. sanctions now, arriving in Vienna to play a role in this process where we're likely going to see a significant production cut. Bob, what do you make of it? I mean, big audible to Hilema's point. They're not dragging a couple hundred journalists from around the world for no reason. No, you know, Brian, uh, (laughs) on August 22nd, Saudi uh, oil minister Abdulaziz bin Salman fired a warning shot. Very public, very clear. I will not tolerate an undershoot in oil prices. I think on Wednesday, to Talima's point, we're going to get a broadside, a meaningful quota increase. Now, realizing OPEC plus will probably only deliver about a third or so of real cuts for a headline quota increase. So if it's one and a half million barrels a day, about 600,000 barrels a day. So we have to deflate it somewhat. But no, real real barrels are taken off the market on Wednesday. Do you think, Halima, this is a direct response to the not just our, but the release of petroleum reserves from Western European nations and the United States? You know that uh, Prince Abdulaziz does believe the market is being manipulated. I mean, I think Prince Abdelaziz has long maintained that there is this disconnect between the financial and physical markets. And I think he wants to show that OPEC is back in regulator mode, that there will be a you know, circuit breaker in this market to staunch these macro sell-offs. Now, the interesting question when you raise the SPR is, what does the White House do? I mean, this SPR release, this blockbuster release, is set to taper off. So the question is, what is going to be the White House response to a move that will push retail gasoline prices higher? Well, what do you think that response is going to be, Bob? Well, it all depends on the price. Look, if prices stabilize here and don't move up, I think the White House shrugs it off. They'd rather shellac oil and gas companies in the United States than resuscitate tensions with Saudi Arabia. They want to keep that down on the down low. However, if, as Halima said, if oil prices roof from here, we're into $100 barrel oil, retail gasoline starts heading back to those $4 a gallon, then I think, you know, I don't know if we'll be able to stop Congress from passing NOPEC. And then they threaten to throw up export restrictions on products. That wouldn't be a retaliation to OPEC. That would actually be a gift for OPEC. But I think the Biden administration will be backed into a corner and pull the trigger on what they've been threatening, which are restrictions on product exports. And they may not be able to hold off on an OPEC. Bob, Bob, I've got to follow up with you, though. But you said, you know, you don't think the White House wants to increase tensions. Maybe the White House doesn't, but members of Congress do. Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna this morning You know, he's out in the San Francisco Bay Area where gas is about six bucks a gallon. He tweeted out effectively, if you cut production, Saudi Arabia, we're going to stop selling you airplanes and missiles. I mean, that sounds like a ramping up of tensions. Absolutely. The president is doing all he can to restrain both Democrats and Republicans in Congress who would love to take a shot at OPEC plus. But he's saying, look, let me work with the Saudis. We need to have some spare capacity. We need good relations here. He's trying to keep a lid on it. He doesn't want to see this NOPEC bill. It could have all kinds of ramifications for investment, direct and financial. So he's trying to tamp it down. But to your point, Brian, if they cut and prices rise strongly, they may not be able to hold back Congress. They'll get rolled. Alimo? I mean, I agree with Bob on the product exports. You know, that's what I would really pay close attention to. If we see a significant rise in retail gasoline prices, I do think it's going to be hard to hold back on product export restrictions. And again, I don't think that everyone in the White House wants to go down this path. But I do think, you know, if we see this rise in prices, we should watch for that type of policy response. 
Well, the whole thing, Halima, it just feels like it's on the verge of a major escalation. And I say that because we obviously had COVID. Everybody kind of just went into their own corners. Suddenly now we come out. The U.S. is releasing 180 million barrels. France and other countries are doing that. The Saudis believe the market's manipulated, which, by the way, if you follow OPEC, you could say, well, that's kind of what they've been doing for 40 years. I understand that sentiment. Now this production cut with the threat of a possible White House next move. When does this end? I mean, Brian, the other issue is that we're heading into the, you know, the December 5th six package of sanctions start date. I mean, we have the big sanctions on Russian oil exports set to take effect. So again, this market looks like it is ending in a very, very volatile end game situation for oil. A number of really volatile moving parts are coming to a head. But, you know, Bob, when I look out at backwardation in the price of oil futures, they're about 10 bucks lower a year out. If, if you're OPEC, and I'll say Saudi, but if you're OPEC or Russia and you believe prices will be lower in a year, a lot of people may disagree, but if you believe that, because the futures market is telling you that, maybe you want to jack prices now and maximize your revenue because we already know estimates for Saudi Arabia's GDP have started to come down. Yeah, you know, Brian, from the Saudis and the UAE, I get a, I get the impression it's more a question of risk management. I think the think fundamentally this market is okay. You know, we thought we were going to miss lose 3 million barrels a day of Russian in the summer. We didn't. Everyone's talking about recession. So far, the demand data aren't so bad. It's risk management. What they don't like is that prices are starting to fall like a knife and uh, overshooting or undershooting uh, to the downside. And I think, to Halima's point, they need to interject a circuit breaker. I don't think it's about you know holding a floor or uh, grabbing revenue while they can now, uh, afraid of next year's fundamentals. I think this is about a signal to the market. We will not let things get stupid to the downside here. <laughs> Do you think there's a chance they could get, quote, stupid to the downside, Alima? I mean, again, I think that is why we're throwing, they're throwing in this circuit breaker. I mean, I think that they believe that the market was more concerned about Vladimir Putin, and less concerned about Vladimir Putin, more concerned about Powell, less concerned about the fundamentals of this market. So again, I think this is about throwing in a circuit breaker. But again, you have a big OPEC cut. You have to watch for the White House response, and we have to see what's really coming next from Russia when it comes to their response in terms of supply disruptions. And it's not just how much of a cut, maybe how long of a cut that it goes on. We'll find out. Halima, aren't you supposed to be going to the airport? I'm leaving for the airport now, Brian. So see you in Vienna. I will see you in Vienna, Bob. Hope to see you there as well. Bob McNally, Rapidan, Halima Croft, thank you very much. And do not forget, we will be in Vienna starting tomorrow. We're going to leave tonight and head to the OPEC meeting at live coverage all day. Not just tomorrow. It's kind of a setup. Assuming we take off, the weather here is terrible in New Jersey, but also all day on Wednesday, that big meeting in person, inside, could be dramatic. All right, check it out. All right, up next, if you think stocks will continue to rally into year end, what do you do now? We've got a playbook for you. But first, between food costs and labor shortages, what is it like to run a big restaurant chain right now? The CEO of P.F. Chang will join us on that and more. The exchange is back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. 
Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. Have you been out to eat lately? You probably have. And if so, you know a couple things. Number one, the restaurants are packed, at least for now. They still are. Also, menu costs have gone up, sometimes by a lot. And third, some restaurants have had to close earlier, not even open on some days, because they simply can't find the staff. Joining us now exclusively on The Exchange is Damola Adamalikan. He is the CEO of P.F. Chang's. Got some nice statues and awards behind him. Damola, good to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. No, it's great. Listen, there's a P.F. Chang near where I live. I can tell you, you probably at 4.45 p.m., the lot is full. That place is packed all the time. I know it's only one location. Do you see any slowdown nationally from the perch on which you sit? You know, we've been uh, we've been very impressed with the um, resilience of, of the consumer and, and the strength of our traffic, uh, despite the difficult you know macroeconomic conditions. You know, there, there's some pockets of weakness. You know, you see with um, you know lower income consumers, for example, or certain states, you see some weakness. But overall, we've been uh, quite strong. No pockets anywhere in America. No, there've been pockets. So there are pockets of weakness, right? So you see, for example, in California with. Uh, gas prices where they are. You see some weakness there. You see some pockets. But but overall, the consumer has been, been good. The, the biggest issue we've had throughout the year has been uh, on the supply chain side, commodity pricing, especially in the second quarter that that's come down. So um, lots to contend with. But the consumer has been you know pretty resilient, all things considered. You mentioned California. Obviously, we just talked about oil. Do you notice like day to day or month to month an impact on your business based on where gas prices might be averaging? Does it really matter to you? Yeah, you know, it does. It does. Right. Um, the, the consumer is very sensitive to, to food pricing and to energy pricing or, or gas pricing. Uh, so where you see big disparities, for example, California right now is about, you know, two dollars and 50 cents higher than the national average on on gas and increasing uh, month over month. Um, so, you know, you're seeing a lot more pressure there, for example, than in some places where the gas prices are actually coming down. Uh, so you see some of that, you see some disparity, and, and it does impact the, the traffic patterns and the consumer's willingness to spend. Where are the workers? Damola, where did, it, where did every, honestly, where did everybody go? I know you're out there in Arizona. I was at Phoenix Airport. Arguably, it was, it was toward the beginning of this year, so it's different. And almost every single shop in Sky Harbor Airport was shut down. It was just simply no people. Where, are, where did they go? You know, based on the numbers, a lot of them left the uh, the labor force, right? If you look at the participation rates, you know, pre-COVID and post, you know, a lot of people left the left the the labor force, and you know, there's a bunch of reasons for that. One is, you know, there's a tremendous amount of stimulus uh, produced during the the, the pandemic that uh, created a situation where a lot of people didn't need to work, right? To be to be frank, um, literally so, had you know, enough seeing, had enough money and may may still have enough money that they don't need to have a job. Yeah, I mean, look at the savings rates, look at the, the you know, the bank account balances pre and post COVID, you know, there, there's a big spike, right? So, 
Uh, you know, people people were compensated well, uh, or you know, there was a lot of stimulus during COVID to where it was a real question: Do I need to work, or is, are you better off, off off not working, right? Or or you know, doing something different. Um, and then on top of that, with the markets up and crypto up, you know, that creates uh, you know a lot of a, a, a big question as to whether it makes sense for people to work, yeah. right? So, um, you know, that's changing. You're, you're seeing some improvement in the in the labor force. You're seeing some uh, you know softening, and, and it's becoming incrementally easy to hire. But but you know. Pre and post COVID, we're still in a very different place than the than where we were in terms of the do you labor see that, participation. How how long do you see that lasting? You know, it's hard to tell, but that's a, it's an important question because um, you know the labor the, the strength in the labor market is is one of the reasons why uh, the Fed is able to you know focus almost exclusively on inflation because you haven't seen the labor market collapse quite yet, right? So there's still a lot of strength there and. As long as that remains true, it gives you know the Fed some leeway to um, you know move forward on on you know tackling inflation and, and keep the economy intact. But if that changes, yeah. uh, you know you can see the economy change pretty dramatically. Well, so well, it's, it's something that all, everybody should be watching, and you know we'll have to see how that plays out. Well, first off, a, a big shout out and thanks to your people at all your stores because if if they weren't coming into work every day, the chefs, the line cooks, the servers, the bartenders in particular, the bartenders we would not be able to dine out. So I want to seriously give a huge shout out to everybody that is going to work because you make it possible for others to have fun and, and to do stuff. That said, our good friend Tillman Fertitta, he owns a bunch of restaurants. You might have heard of this guy. Mastro's his steakhouse actually, <laughs> actually, I think, began in Scottsdale, Arizona or Phoenix, where you are. Sure. You've got to That's compete true. against restaurants like that for your staff. I mean, if you've got a really top-notch server, I mean, just skilled, good with people, shows up every day. What are they making? You got to pay well, them. That depends, you got to pay them. That depends where you are. And, and it's changing rapidly is, is the other thing I'll say, right? So, you know, we have some markets where uh, wage inflation is way outstripped the national average, the hot markets that are growing really quickly. Phoenix is one, Nashville is another. Um, but, you know, it's important to stay on top of the local dynamics. The right wage really depends not only on what town you're in, but what part of what part of, of you know, the town that you're in. Right. It's it's really market by market. Uh, so we do a revaluation, uh, you know, frequently for every restaurant. We try to make sure our best people are, are, are paid well competitively and a lot of times ahead of the uh, the, the local going rate. Um, but, it, you know, people are it's everything. You know, you, you're spot on in, in, in shouting out the people that come into work and make. Uh, uh, create an incredible experience for our guests because that that's that's it right if if don't if have them, we in, don't have you don't have pf chang 100 don't have anything 100 so you got to keep your best people you got to be fair you got to pay them well and you have yep. to you know produce uh, a holistic uh you know employment situation that that is more attractive than the competitors to your point to win on a relative basis okay two final things one's a comment one's a question yeah. i got a comment from a viewer Please tell Damola to bring back the Dan Dan noodles. I don't know if you took Dan Dan noodles off the menu everywhere, but this guy wants them back, Ronnie Hudson, so hopefully he'll bring them back for Ronnie. Secondly, you're launching a subscription service, $6.99 a month. Deliveries get to what, jump the line at the restaurant? How does that work? Yeah, there's a, a number of uh, perks that, that come with it. So, you know, you get uh, free delivery on every order, which, you know, in this environment can be a very meaningful uh, benefit for people who order frequently. Uh, you get uh, priority seating in our restaurants, so you know we'll always be able to take care of you when you come in. Uh, incremental points, so you accrue points more quickly, and then uh, some experientially driven perks like in invitations to a tasting panel. You know, maybe we'll have the Dan Dan noodles in one of our tasting panels, so 
uh, you know, the, the the person who asked the question can come join us there. So it's a number of perks. It's uh, it's a layer on top of our existing loyalty program that lets people become more engaged uh, with the brand. Well, his name's Ronnie, so maybe he could taste the will call him the Ron Ron noodles. He'll get to name his, he'll get to name his own dish. Kamal, <laughs> really appreciate you coming on. Good wine raging discussion. Good luck with the subscription service. Good luck with the people, and thanks to all your staff. I truly mean that. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, absolutely. Very good. All right, on deck. What is going on at Tesla? The stock is down. Deliveries falling short. Phil will join us to break it all down coming up. Plus, with the midterms in just one month, business is on the ballot. Coming up, Elon Moy will join us to look at how the Latino vote may be shaping up. And it might surprise you. As we had to break, take a look at the Dow heat map. Every stock is higher but one. Chevron, Intel, and Caterpillar leading the way. The only in the red, Johnson & Johnson. We're back right after this. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Welcome back. Now let's get to stocks. And finally, some relief. Look at that. All the major averages are higher. The Nasdaq is up 1.7%. The Dow near the highs of the day. It's up 700 points. All 11 sectors are now higher. And your next guest says this uptrend could continue with the potential for a year-end rally ahead. Joining us now is John Augustine, Chief Investment Officer at Huntington Private Bank. And joining us by phone, I, want to, I shouldn't have called it an uptrend. It's one day, but I'm trying to find some sully side up on the good side of things, John. Uh, it's a new month. It's a new quarter. Seasonality is on our side. Why are you optimistic in the near term? Hello, John. All right. John's not there. Caller two, you're on the line. <laughs> first Tyler Matt, first time, long time. First time, long time Doris, caller. Doris Here we from go. Queens. Doris from Queens. Uh, Doris from Queens is, is asking about why is the stock market up? More buyers. Well, than it's Monday. It's a new month. We got a CNBC News update for you. Let's go there now. Uh, Here's what's happening. The Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case on the suitability of same-sex parents to provide foster care. A Catholic charity sued the city of Philadelphia after losing a contract to find homes for abused children. The city ended the contract after finding out the Catholic charity would not consider same-sex couples as potential foster parents. The court also refused to hear a Republican-led challenge to Pennsylvania's electoral map. Remnants of Hurricane Ian wreaking havoc now as far north as New Jersey. Parts of the Jersey Shore seeing street flooding. Flood warnings in effect now for parts of New Jersey and Delaware. They are down, I believe, ship bottom is down on, the, uh, on what we call the uh, Jersey Shore. And in southern Ukraine, Ukrainian forces continue to take back land occupied by the Russians. Ukrainian armed forces released video they claim shows soldiers raise the Ukrainian flag over another captured village in the Kherson region. And on the news tonight with Shep Smith, enough was enough done to warn Florida residents about the potential damage of Hurricane Ian. That and the latest on cleanup in devastated areas. That is tonight at 7 o'clock Eastern time. Brian, back to you. All right, Tyler, thank you. And we are going to go back to John Augustine, who I believe we have tapped in. John, are you there? Sully, I wore my best suit and shirt, and, and the video's out. 
That's, that's, that's how it always goes. Ben, you didn't say you're wearing your best pants, which makes me nervous. But anyway, John, <laughs> I'm glad you, we, we patched you in. We connected the string to the two cans. Uh, okay, market's up nicely today. It's great. Don't want to take anything away from it. It feels pretty good. Do you think it's going to last? Yeah, we do. There's, there's three things on our minds, Tolly. So what's on the mind of markets today is central banks. The, the thought that they're going to back off a little bit. You can see that in bond markets. You can see that in currency markets. So that's number one. But we got to wait till October 27th. The ECB's up next. That second thing on our mind is earnings. Earnings have already been taken much lower for the third quarter. We think that's baked in. We don't. We see earnings stepping over the 2.9 percent bar for the S&P 500. You know, six sectors already have lower earnings estimates. Then real quick, the third thing is the election. If, if history stands, Congress changes in the election. So those are the three things we're looking at, Sully. Yeah, big deal. There's a, lot, there's a lot of things coming up in the next couple of weeks. You got OPEC Wednesday, to your point, the midterm elections. You got the Fed, a closed door Fed meeting, then the regular Fed meeting on November 2nd. But if you look at a company like a Chubb, I know it's a name you like. It's a, and I mean this with affection for Chubb. It's a boring, big old boring insurance company that you probably don't have to deal with unless you got some kind of an issue, maybe that's why you like Chubb, kind of resistant. Well, we, we like Chubb because short-term interest rates are up. So the P&C guys, we like ADP, uh, as, a, as a matter of fact, as well. So we're thinking of float because they haven't had any for years. So we're thinking of float for property and casualty companies like Chubb. Yeah, another name you like, which, by the way, it's just one day, Johnson & Johnson, only stock in the Dow down, but I mean, again, w- one day. Uh, obviously, they had some vaccine issues, talc issues a couple years ago. Do you feel like the company has kind of cleaned itself up in a way? I mean, obviously, there's something about it you like. Yeah, no, that's the thought. That's what our equity team's thinking that it stabilized itself, good dividend, probably increasing dividend, chance for, let's say, shareholder enhancements along the way. Do they split something out? or split more out. So we're thinking of stabilization there. Yeah, you're right. In a hot market, they're going to trail just like they are today, but, but we're in it for the longer term. Yeah, another name, and we talk a lot about supply chains, John, as you know, on this network. It's not getting a lot of attention, but there's some port strike issues in England, which you only care if you want to drink some, like, English liquor. And Diageo exports a lot <laughs> through there. They're having some issues there with exports because of that. Stock is down 20-some percent this year, but based on the trends I see and at my home, people are drinking more these days or have been for the last couple of years, for good or ill. Yeah, unfortunately, this goes to a couple things. Obviously, the drop in the pound is good for them. The, the transportation issues are not, but a slowing economy generally is. That's why this stock's up over the past week now. We like the dividend yield coming out of it. So if we're going to play anything in the UK, it's a steady exporter. John Augustine, Huntington Private Bank, got you by phone watching Chubb. Not, not Nick Chubb. He was good this weekend, though. Chubb, Johnson & Johnson, and Diageo. John, we'll look forward to seeing you on video next time. Thank you. Thanks, Tully. All right, up next, automaker stocks higher despite ongoing supply chain snarls and chip shortages in the third quarter. We're going to break down the sales numbers and dig into Tesla's rather unique delivery issues with Phil coming up next. And all throughout Hispanic Heritage Month, we are celebrating some of our CNBC teammates, friends, and contributors. 
Here is Jane Hall and Associates Senior Research Analyst Jessica Ramirez. I grew up being bilingual. Spanish is my first language. I learned English in school and you know I've been very privileged that I've been able to travel and, and improve my language skills and till today I still struggle with some of it. But I think the the idea of making your obstacles your strength really works more than people knocking you down. There's going to be more people who recognize how hard you're able to work and are, are looking for that. All right, welcome back. Well, the overall markets are up big time today. Tesla is not. That stock is one of the few that is down after the company reported blowout sales, but missed third quarter delivery expectations and things. Looking a little bit brighter for the legacy automakers, but they are not quite yet out of the woods. Phil joining us now with more on Tesla and maybe the rest of the market. First up, though, Tesla. Phil, what's going on? Well, with Tesla, and we've got the full numbers here in a little bit, this is a case where if you are a bull or a bear, there's something to chew on here in terms of deliveries missing, but production pretty much in line with expectations. It's a matter of logistics. We'll talk about that in a bit. Let's first talk about the legacy automakers. All of these stocks moving higher today, in part because... Look, they were so beaten down. Most of them were at 52-week lows that as they reported Q3 sales, keep in mind these are in relationship to Q3 of last year. Production was all over the place in the third quarter of last year. So they're roughly in line with expectations, but it was very lumpy in the Q3 of last year, still lumpy right now. So you can't really read into this and say, wow, GM's way up and Toyota's way down. Remember, it's in relationship to last year. As you take a look at the stocks today, they're all moving higher. And again, they most of them were at close to a 52-week low, if not at 52-week lows. They've just been hammered in the last six months So it's not a surprise that these stocks are moving higher. The annual sales rate, which is what we focus on at the end of every quarter, remember it came in at about 13.5 million vehicles. The pace of sales, not the actual sales, but pace of sales, that was the second quarter. The expectation is the third quarter pace of sales may be a little bit better, 13.7 to 13.9 million vehicles. And then when you look at Tesla, the issue here is, Did they not deliver the vehicles because of logistic issues, which is what the company says? Or was it a case where they could have delivered them if they were able to deal with logistics and costs involved? Bottom line is the deliveries missed by about 6%, production roughly in line with expectations. We get the Q3 results from Tesla, Brian, on October 19th. That'll be the next time when analysts will have a chance to hear from Elon Musk and his top executives about what they're seeing in terms of production and the fourth quarter outlook. Look, the expectation is they're rampant in Texas, Germany, and China, so production should be up substantially in the fourth quarter. You say logistics, like they literally just couldn't get truck drivers to deliver the cars? Well, it depends. on. They're not specific here. So is it an issue in China where there have been some COVID restrictions there? Is it an issue here in North America? Uh, And then the other thing is they want to get away from this rush at the end of every quarter. What came out last week? They put out an email. All hands on deck. We need your help delivering these vehicles. They want to get away from this surge at the end of the quarter, but it's still the issue for them. So... The eyeball test, Phil, driving by all the car dealerships every day for whatever, how long. I'm, I'm just yep. anecdotally, it appears there's starting to be a lot of cars sitting on car dealer lots. Are we seeing any shift here? Yeah, I'm not sure if I would go with a lot. That might be a, a little a generous in the interpretation. More? I would say more. I would say more, Brian. Look, the, the overall inventory of new vehicles, the day supply is still at about 31, 32 day supply. 
normal pre-pandemic, you'd be at 65, 70 days supply. So it's better than it was, let's say, three months ago. But we're nowhere close to where the industry was before the pandemic. Phil LeBeau, appreciate it. A lot of Tesla owners are eager for that information. Phil, thanks. All right, stocks, they're at session highs right now. The Dow is up more than 700 points. The NASDAQ up more than 2%. Every single sector is now higher. And coming up, we're going to get some top stock picks in tech, energy, and healthcare just for you. But only if you leave it here on the exchange. All right, welcome back and happy Monday. The markets are happy. They're rallying sharply to start October. Yields dropping. Of course, though, it's just one day. It's been a brutal last couple of months for most of you investors out there. The average is down six of the past seven weeks, closing out their third straight negative quarter. Something that has not happened in almost 20 years or since the financial crisis. Your next guest says if you have a longer time horizon, there is bargain hunting to be done as we kick off this, the fourth quarter. So welcome back in Ari Wald. He is managing director, head of technical analysis at Oppenheimer. Ari, um, listen, one day does not a trend make. I believe I'm quoting you back to you. Is there any sign that the downtrend has been broken? Today feels good, but what are we looking for next? Yeah, it sure feels good. Uh, rates down, stocks up. Uh, could be the start of something, but I think it's too early, as, as you said, to say that uh, today is the low or the final low is in. But more importantly, in our work, rather than trying to time the low, uh, you know, our message to clients is, is know your, your time horizon. And our indicators are at levels that have historically made for attractive long-term buying opportunities for the long-term investor. Uh, so while we, there could be some additional backing and filling and we'd be looking for signs that selling is becoming less bad versus conditions that we saw in June, uh, we do think the setup is there for an October bottom ahead of uh, a, a later Q4 upturn. Would that mean a sharp rally then or just kind of like we don't go any lower and then muddle along? Well, I, I the, the turn is, is a turn in the up cycle. I, I think we're... The idea is that our indicators are consistent with a bear market low and what would be an upturn in the equity cycle. And we could think about returns in terms of what we would expect to see at the start of a new bull market, as our feeling is that the market has priced in a lot of the downside scenarios that you and I have probably talked about. And you've talked about with a lot of your guests in recent weeks and recent months. Uh, but the process of bottoming is difficult. Typically, what you'll see is a very high-intensity low. We think we had that in June. Now we're looking for a less intense low. First the bang, then the whimper. I think it is encouraging that credit spreads aren't as wide as they were in June. Mm -hmm. We're seeing signs that selling intensity is becoming less bad based on the VIX, and fewer stocks are falling as well. So the setup is there for that bottom and a new bull cycle. Good news. All right, let's hit a couple of names here if we can. Love talking about oil and gas. New name, Texas Pacific Land. TPL, what do you like about them? I like well, energy sector. That's that's been a leadership area. We are starting to see some bifurcation underneath the surface. I think you want to stick with your EMP exploration and production name side away from oil services on the EMP side. Texas Pacific Land is a standout. Uh, the the chart is a standout, and here's why: it's just starting to break above very important resistance levels from the second quarter of 2021. I think there's a big, big breakout in store here. It's above all of its key moving averages. And I think once market conditions firm and the sector yep. can reassert itself, you're going to see higher highs in TPL. And then Paycom, P-A-Y-C, one of the lesser known payroll names. 
Yeah, you want some rotation as well. I think tech, low momentum uh, sector position to turn and, and act and lead at a new upturn. And you're looking for the stocks within tech that are showing relative strength. Paycom, it's still down 40% from its November 21 high, but it's one of the few software stocks that have been able to uphold its 200-day average. It's corrected of late into those support levels. I think as long as you're above, let me get my number right, $320, Paycom, that reversal in base is intact. Watching 320, watching Paycom, watching Texas Pacific Land, TPL, Ari Wald. Glad that we're watching you. Thanks very much. Take care. Thank you. All right, still ahead, 750. That is how many residents Brookdale Senior Living had to relocate during Hurricane Ian. Wreaking havoc on the state of Florida. We're going to check in with the CEO to find out the latest updates from the ground. Next. Welcome back to one of the biggest storms in American history. And remnants of Hurricane Ian continue to drop rain and winds all across the Mid-Atlantic. With cleanup efforts now underway in hard-hit Florida. And it's home to some of the most vulnerable seniors. Now, 21% of the state's population is over the age of 65. The nation's largest elderly care operator, Brookdale Senior Living, was forced to move more than 700 residents across nine communities. Safety all ahead of the storm with us now is Cindy Byer. She is president and CEO of Brookdale Senior Living. Um, and you got to, I, I know you got most of, if not all the people out. How big of a logistics undertaking was that, Cindy? And do you feel like you guys did get enough notice about the severity of the storm? Brian, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I am so grateful for our dedicated, proactive emergency response at Brookdale. We have 71 communities in the state of Florida, and we evacuated nine communities with about 750 residents. Our associates on the ground did an incredible job sort of having our residents move to communities across the state as well as to other locations. And I think they did an amazing job minimizing the disruption to our residents. So I'm very grateful to them. What are the conditions of the living centers that you had to evacuate? Are are some people already back or some leveled? Brian, I'm really excited that our Brookdale Tarpon Springs residents returned home last week. We are still assessing the um, damage to our other eight communities. Now, in the most cases, it's minor damage where we may have to do um, a little bit of work with shingles or to repair some drywall or replace some carpet. But we do expect that our residents will re- return home soon. Well, that is that is very good news. Um... We were talking earlier with the CEO of P.F. Chang, and this is a separate issue, Cindy, which is labor. And we were talking about where everybody went. Um, It's annoying if you can't go to a restaurant, but it's a totally different thing if you can't operate one of your facilities. I mean, we need these people to literally keep our parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles alive. You need the staff. Have you been able to, to find the workers that you need? So, Brian, Brookdale is a mission-driven organization, and we have actually increased our workforce by 12% since the beginning of the year. And we have had positive net hires every single month since the month of November of last year. So I'm grateful that we are a mission-driven organization. We have a culture of caring that is attractive to workers. And for those who may be displaced in Florida, we're hiring. You are hiring. So maybe we know some people might, might have shifted. Obviously, the, the elder care industry, particularly in New York and New Jersey at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, got hit hard. And for, you know, there was a lot of mismanagement on the government side as well. Let's leave it at that. I think we know that now. Um, how has your business changed post pandemic? 
We are welcoming new residents every single day. We are rebuilding our occupancy and improving our cash flows. And again, what makes me happiest is that we are a mission-driven organization. We are helping seniors with the challenges of aging, and we're doing that every single day. Cindy Beyer, Brookdale Senior Living. Very glad to see some of the folks going back to their homes. A few more little things to do, but we appreciate your time. Cindy, thank you to you and your staff. Thank you, Brian. All right. Up next, we are just a little more than a month away from the midterm elections, and it is no secret the economy and inflation top of mind for many voters. That includes a key demographic that help Republicans regain control of Congress. Those details and why inflation could turn the tide. Next. All right, welcome back. I want to get one more thing before we go, and that is the midterm election. Might have heard about him coming up in early November. A new poll revealing inflation is the most important issue to Latino voters right now. And those economic concerns could have them crossing the aisle this November. Lon Moy joining us now with that story in a very big and growing voting block. Ilan. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. Not only is inflation top of mind for Latino voters, but a new NBC poll shows they're not happy with how Democrats are handling it. The survey shows 23 percent of Latinos put rising prices at the top of their list of priorities. Now, that's more than the broader public, which sees threats to democracy as the biggest risk. Now, that's key because it appears to be contributing to a shift by the Latino community away from Democrats and toward Republicans. We recently spent the day following a conservative Latino advocacy group as they knocked on doors in Virginia's 7th Congressional District, potentially one of the bellwether races in the midterms. The Libre Initiative sees inflation as a potential opening for the GOP. There's no question right now that the, the cost of everything is impacting Latinos, I think, in a very real way. It's causing a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. And I think the, the candidate who can best speak to how they're going to address that issue uh, is going to best persuade us. And so right now, I think the Republicans have the upper hand. Now, that sentiment tracks with the results of NBC's poll. Most Latinos still identify as Democrats, but the share is shrinking. And Brian, they give Republicans the edge on handling the economy. Back over to you. So it's, it's a big deal. And, and one does wonder, Ilan, you know, if they if there is a shift from Democrat to Republican, um, does that shift last then for years or generations? You know, that that's going to be yeah. the bigger story than just November. Absolutely. I mean, this is something that we saw start to take hold around 2016. It's particularly apparent among Latino men, Brian, not just in terms of what party they affiliate with, but also turnout was higher than expected among Latino men. So not only is this population uh, identifying more and more with Republicans and Democrats, but they're more engaged as well. Yeah, certainly. And, and it's not just, I would imagine, Alon, and I don't want to go down sticky roads here, but a lot of uh, Hispanic voters are probably Catholic or raised Catholic. There are social issues that are at work here as well. Inflation may be yeah. the top of mind, but we can't put aside some of these social issues that we talk about every day in the mainstream media. Yeah, so there are a lot of Latino single-issue voters on everything from guns to abortion to crime to immigration. But I thought it was really notable that the top two issues that Latinos said were most important to them were inflation as well as jobs and the economy by far. So this is something that is really sort of driving this new engagement by this population, though certainly those things such as abortion, guns, et cetera, have always been there in the background. But, but listen, immigration and the economy 
go hand in hand. And the surprising thing is, and I certainly am not speaking for any other community, but just from polls and surveys, there is a lot of resentment um, economically around some of the illegal immigration that is occurring now from a population that may have struggled to get here and gain their citizenship. Is there not? This is not a one way easy to and it's not an easy issue to understand either. Yeah, I think that there is strong feeling on both sides of this um, among the Latino population. That's certainly true. There's also a strong feeling around sort of the dreamer population and what should be done with them. Should there be a pathway to citizenship? The Libre Initiative has been very vocal in calling for uh, for that population to have uh, a way to become permanent residents, permanent citizens in America, but certainly not everybody believes in that. So that's another polarizing issue. And I think it's really important to note that the Latino community is not a monolith. It's not one single Correct. voter. There are many different people from many different countries that uh, that upbringing, that heritage, that culture informs their political position. So both parties have a lot to work to do to sort of dive into this population yeah. and figure out what's really motivating well, and you're, them. And you're trying to do that. I think you know, with your data-driven organization like CNBC, we try to just look at the numbers of what people think because you watch a lot of other networks and it's basically like one side or the other and that's it. There is a giant middle ground because not all people are the same from any walk of life anywhere. Elon, uh, how ugly, outside of what your main topic is, how ugly is it going to get the next four weeks ahead of these midterms? Oh, I think it's going to be completely brutal out there. You're already seeing so much money being spent on the ads that are that are on the airwaves, both for the House races, for Senate races as well. You're starting to see the debates heat up, both for the governor's races across the states, as well as yeah. some of the key Senate races in Ohio and Georgia. We're going to be there for a lot of that. Brian. You know, I, I, I live in central Jersey. I get the New York and Philly stations on Comcast. If I watch the New York stations, I have no political ads. If I watch the Philly stations for football, every commercial break is some political ad for whatever it might be. Elon, it's amazing. we got to go. Elon Moy, thank you. All right, let's send on a positive side of things. The markets have been taking their cue for the bond market in the past month. We're still at session high levels for stocks. Yields have come down. In fact, they're back to where they were before the last Fed meeting. How about that? I'm going to fly to Vienna, Austria right now. We'll see you tomorrow for OPEC coverage. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.